Stuart Holman here. Welcome to this third devotional in our series on the hope of Israel. In the month of July, right at the end of the Old Testament part of Growing Disciples, we've paused to take in all that the prophets had promised along with the exile's return to Jerusalem from Babylon. We know the great building works of Zerubbabel, Ezra and Nehemiah provided renewed infrastructure, temple, sacrifices and city walls, but the hearts of God's people seemed unchanged. Why? Well, God, through the prophet Ezekiel, said it was a spiritual problem, something within each person. And so even before the exile, uh, Ezekiel prophesied, Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offences you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. As Israel spiralled toward the exile, Ezekiel called on them to get a new heart and a new spirit. Their problem was obviously internal. Their inner motivations and desires, their, their passions and their priorities needed to change. If they didn't repent, their pathway could only end in their death, an outcome that God did not want. Instead, God urgently pleaded with them to repent and live. Israel had a problem of the heart, but they did not have the means of change within them. Certainly the first step to a new heart is repentance. Turn back to God and live, said Ezekiel. But as we know, they did not. And so horrible judgment did come upon them in the form of the Assyrians and the Babylonians, followed by slavery and exile. It was 70 years before God graciously opened the doorway back to a return. And it was during that time of exile that Ezekiel was instructed to bring this further word from God. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord declares the Sovereign Lord, when I'm proved holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you'll live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. So ultimately, a new heart is the work of God. It's not something we can manufacture. Indeed, for Israel, it was always only going to be the work of God that would bring change to their situation and to their hearts. Uh, verses 22, 23 here give us 
an interesting insight into the activity of God. Why will God act in this way for Israel? Because they deserve it? Because they'll repay him with their good works? No. No, God does not act for their sake, but he will act and he will bring them a new heart, a new spirit for the sake of his holy name. God's reputation had been diminished in the eyes of the surrounding nations by Israel's sin, by their worshipping of other gods and their wickedness. It, it altogether effectively said, look, our God is not that big a deal. We, we do pretty much as we like without paying too much attention. That's what it means to profane God's name. He's made to seem to be less than holy. But now, according to Ezekiel 36, God will act for his own glory so that the nations will know that he is sovereign, that he truly is the living God and that he is holy. You see, God always acts for his own greater glory. Having established God's motive, then verses 24 through 28 detail God's salvation actions. What will he do to demonstrate his holiness before all the nations? Well, he will gather his people. He will restore them to their land and he will purify them from all their sins. In a sense, this addresses so many of Israel's problems to date. But what will change so that they don't get locked in another endless cycle of sin and judgment and repentance? Pretty much the same as happened in the book of Judges. Well, to bring lasting change, real renewal, God will give his people a new heart. He will remove their hard-hearted disobedience and give them a new heart of flesh, a new motivation and, and in a compass. They will be responsive to him. Uh, in, in the Jewish culture, the heart was not merely the seat of the emotions in the way that our culture uses that metaphor. We, we say that we feel things in our heart or that we love with all of our heart, but we think with our head and we choose with our will and so on. But when the Bible talks about the heart, very often it refers to the center of a person's whole intellectual, emotional and moral being. So in the Bible, the heart is the place for decision making and choosing and understanding. It's the place where wisdom is stored. It is the place for discerning right from wrong, for reasoning and remembering. It is also the place for feelings and emotions too. So the heart is therefore intimately connected to the soul or the spiritual life. So when the Bible talks about a person's heart, it's referring to the very center of their being. And now when God says he will give his people a new heart, He's talking about a complete renewal of the whole person from the inside out, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, entirely. A new heart is center, and it's the, heart, it's the hope of Israel. Of course, the heart is the metaphor. We know that, and I'm pretty sure the Bible knows that too. The need for a new heart then is ultimately a spiritual problem, which is why this passage associates the two together. The new heart that God gives his people will be brought about by God gifting his spirit, the Holy Spirit. More of this uh, tomorrow. But the thing to ponder today, because we've already been gifted the Holy Spirit as Christians, the thing to ponder is the way in which we Christians cultivate our new heart. You see, the new heart is always only the gift of God, not something we can manufacture. It is something given 
already to the Christian, but it is also something to be cultivated, to be shaped and formed by the way that we live. There's a virtuous circle to be enjoyed here. The more we fill our hearts with the things of God, the more our heart will delight in and, and crave the things of God. We can build habits of the heart that will keep our hearts in good shape. Uh, some habits of the heart that you might want to develop could be a habit of grateful thanksgiving in your prayers. Do it often, at least daily. You don't have to be a great singer to cultivate a habit of praise, but that action of regular God-centered and God-exalting praise will fortify our hearts. It will keep it fresh and sensitive to the person and the ways of God. Praise God in, in the car when no one else can hear you. Praise God and thank him from your heart in your prayers. And your heart will find joy and life, delighting in the one for whom it was created. A new heart is a gift of the Holy Spirit from God. It is formed day by day by the Spirit of God. And if a renewed heart, new spiritual energy is something that you'd like, well, ask God for it. And with great joy, we know that he will never refuse a request like that. You might like to pray for that right now. I look forward to seeing you again tomorrow when we'll continue to explore the hope of Israel, particularly as we see the promise of the Holy Spirit. But for now, will you pray about cultivating your heart for God?